Amen. Hey, how many of you guys ever rode the bus here in Vegas? Right? Praise God, you guys pay attention. Don't do this. But check this out. One day, this woman, she's boarding a bus, right? And uh, she's holding her baby, you know, brand new baby, proud mama, right? She's got, holding her baby there, and, and she gets on the bus, and the bus driver goes, whoa, wow, man, Whoa! That is the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. Well, obviously, the lady in a huff, she slams her fare into the fare box there. She she takes a seat near the back of the bus, right? And she's fuming, man, about what that bus driver said. In fact, the longer she thought about it, she's getting more worked up about it and everything. And and, and the man, he's sitting next to her. You know, he sensed she was a little agitated, right? And so he asked, hey, what's wrong? She, She said through clenched teeth, she goes, the bus driver insulted me. Right? And so the man, he began to sympathize with the lady there, and he says, hey, 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 wait a second, man. He, he's a public servant, and he shouldn't say things like that to insult the passengers. And the lady says, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I think I'm going to go right back up there and give him a piece of my mind. And the man next to her said, yeah, that's a good idea, lady. Here, let me hold your monkey. <laughs> that sounded kind of elfish. That was very interesting. Inter- <laughs> Now, you guys seem to be really discerning today, but uh, how many guys would say that guy, good intentions and all, he was about ready to get slapped. You know what I'm saying? Man, you talk about an insult. Whoa, okay. But folks, if you think about it, you and I as Christians, the same insulting thing is happening to you and I every single day. And that's the lie of evolution that tells us, oh no, you came from a monkey. Not just you are a monkey. Okay, instead of what God says, we came from him. We came from Adam, a person, not a monkey, Okay. And believe it or not, folks, there really was a time, though, when humans were quite different. Now, not monkeys, not the live evolution, but as we're going to see, some of them got pretty big. Once again, my family heritage. No, 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 something different. But there were giants. Listen, before the flood and what we're going to see today, there were giants after the flood. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. He talks about these entities called the Nephilim. What in the world is a Nephilim? What is that issue? And uh, Genesis chapter 6, if you want to turn there, if you find the first book of the Bible, what do you do? Go to chapter 6 there, and you'll be there. And Genesis chapter 6, and uh, just as a segue, as you get ready to turn there, we're going to be dealing with this giant issue, Nephilim, today, Lord willing, and then Lord willing, next Sunday will be part 2. This one, we're going to deal more with the aspect of giants being produced and giantism through the pre-flood atmosphere, Lord willing, next week we'll get more into the hybrid issue, which will make sense here in just a second. But let's take a look. Was there really giants on the earth, or is that just all mythology? Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Let's take a look at what God told us happened. Now, when men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, what are sons of God? Do the research as angels. Now, obviously, they're going to be up to no good, but what kind of an angel is that? A fallen angel, i.e. a demon. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Whoa, that's pretty wicked. Well, that's why God says this. Well, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal, and the days will be 120 years. Now, the who, the what? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also what? Afterward, when the sons of God, angels, went to the daughters of men and had children by them. Whoa, that's pretty freaky. They were the heroes of old, the the men of renown. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. Yeah, you bet if you're starting to intermingle with demons. Okay, seriously, man. Had become, in fact, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, mankind, was what? It was only evil all the time. So the Lord was grieved. He says that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And so the Lord said, I'm going to wipe man whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I've made him. But Noah 
found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How many guys would say it was a good day for Noah that day? <laughs> Everybody else paid a horrible price. Okay, but as weird as it sounds, folks, the Bible is very clear. Before the world was judged by a flood, there was a group of people that the Bible calls out by name called the Nephilim. Okay, and so that's the big question, the $64,000 question. Who in the world, what in the world is this Nephilim issue? Well, if you do the study back in the original Hebrew there in the Old Testament, Nephilim literally just means giant. Okay, the phrase there that he begins to describe them, they're heroes of old. In the Hebrew, literally means mighty strong ones. So as wild as it sounds, you stir it all together, you put it all together. The Bible pictures a giant group of people who were not only big and mighty and strong, but these giants were obviously well-known in Noah's day. And I mean, it's almost mentioned like it's casually. Oh yeah, don't forget the the Nephilim were there, right? So apparently they were well-known in Noah's day, okay? And some would say that these giants, uh, these Nephilim are a result of the hybrid issue going on with the fallen angels, i.e. demons there. And I think that's pretty clear. Uh, according to the text, okay? Others would say uh, there's kind of an either-or camp. I'm not an either-or guy. I think it's a both-and. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Some would say, no, 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 no. It had nothing to do with that because that's too weird. They say uh, uh, it was because of the pre-flood atmosphere is the only thing that caused uh, giants in the day. And when you do the studies we did for, what, 12 weeks in in the days of Noah's study, we saw scientifically that the earth was radically different, including the atmosphere. And just living in that atmosphere would produce giantism. And that is true. In fact, what we see in the fossil record, uh, which, by the way, if there really was a worldwide flood that wiped out everything on the planet except for Noah and his family and the animals on the ark, you would expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the world. You know what we find? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers. All, it's almost like there was a flood or something, okay? But what we find in the fossil record, these dead things that lived before they got killed during the flood, they were big. I mean, big. Everything got big before the flood, not just mankind. So let's take a look at some of that evidence. Dragons that today have about a four to five inch wingspan used to, in the pre-flood world, have a five foot wingspan. How'd you like to hit that on your car windshield? Yeah, it'll take you in the windshield right out at the same time. Can you believe that? A five foot wingspan on a dragonfly? Wow, big, huge insects. Uh, beetles apparently grew the size of baseball gloves. Yeah, you're not going to step on that thing, okay? Uh, Not only that, we also find fossilized cockroaches one and a half to two feet long. I mean, they're big in Vegas, but whoo, and you better skip the broom lane and get something else, okay? Two feet long, man, that's crazy. Everything got bigger. Listen to this, fossilized crickets and grasshoppers, two feet long. That's a meal. Yeah, that's my Uncle Chester. That was during the Dust Bowl. No, I know, let's just move on. Uh, And of course, spiders, get this, a fossilized giant tarantula one and a half feet long. I hate spiders. I hate them even more. They also find, I kid you not, fossilized centipedes eight and a half feet long. We were just talking about that with Billy when we lived in New York in the basement. You guys ever have a basement? Man, basements are great places to have uh, weird experiments with bugs, right? As we learned with that. And they had these millipedes. You ever seen a millipede? All right, it's all these crazy things. Anyway, we're down there watching TV, right? Had this set up in the basement. All of a sudden, this uh, millipede comes out of nowhere, right over his toes. And of course, he was very calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> it's freaky. But could you, I mean, that thing was only about that long. That was freaky enough, man. It was. Can you imagine eight and a half feet long? How many guys would scream like a little girl? Yeah, you know you're out there. Wow, shotgun is right. Hey, uh, uh, a fossilized hornless rhinoceros, 18 feet tall, 30 feet long. That's a guy down there for size. Everything got bigger before the flood, just like the Bible says happened. Also, beavers, they find fossilized beavers, eight feet long. Eight feet long beaver. And one guy says, hey, listen, if you got bigger trees in the pre-flood days, you need bigger beavers to chew them down. 
In fact, in some of the research we had done before, we found a fossilized stump in Texas, and based on the circumference of that stump in Texas, the tree was 1,000 feet tall. Have you ever been over there? We used to live in Northern California, over there in the, the sequoias and the, the redwoods and stuff. They get about 300 feet, huge mass. Triple that is how big. No wonder you got bigger beavers. <sighs> Need something bigger to chomp them down. That's, it makes sense. Fossilized fish, not whales. Fossilized fish, 72 feet long. The size of a whale, but it's just a fish. Okay. Uh, also, speaking of sharks, uh, fossilized teeth indicate they're really uh, 80 feet long. 80 foot long. Jaws would be a minnow uh, compared to how big they used to get. Uh, pigs used to be the size of cattle. Oh, you're good. That's off the cuff. We didn't even talk about that one. I like that. Archaeologists found the remains of a giant penguin that was almost as big as a man. So it really looked like he was wearing a tuxedo. But uh, can you imagine that? Whoa, man. And they also find giant water scorpions eight feet long. Can you imagine going in the ocean swimming? I don't want to do it anymore. Eight feet long, a water scorpion. Uh, rodents, rats, the size of an economy car. Their heads were as large as a cow head, a rat. Huge, massive things. Uh, also, a donkey, they found a fossilized donkey that was nine feet high at the shoulder. It was a nine feet uh, tall donkey. Kangaroos, they found 11 and a half feet tall. Uh, here's a turtle still on display there. Ten feet tall at the Yale Museum. It's funny, you display this stuff in a museum sometimes, but you never think to ask, well, how come they don't get that big today? Maybe something was different not that long ago, and it all got destroyed at the flood. Uh, at deer antlers, 12 feet in width. I'll give you a second for those of you hunters. You can cry right now if you had that rack. Uh, let's move on. Geese, they find giant geese that weigh a half a ton. How would you like to have that at Thanksgiving? Feed the whole church. That's good stuff, right? Here's the actual one, 25-foot wingspan on a bird at the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles. That's a big bird, and it's not that yellow one either. The feather from that size is estimated to be five feet long, one feather, five feet long, over a half a foot wide. That's about as tall as me. A feather, one feather from that bird. Absolutely massive giant uh, ground sloths today they're about the size of a monkey back in that day in the flood 20 feet tall 20 feet tall okay they also just recently found a giant armadillo and you can see them excavating it see that they're there uh, an armadillo the size of a volkswagen bug huge massive uh creature that they found also find lizards 23 feet long weighing over 1300 pounds which leads to a very another interesting thing lizards 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 uh what's the word dinosaur mean dinosaur terrible lizard the reptiles interesting one guy said this hey this starts to explain maybe the real origins of dinosaurs he says this uh terrible lizards that's what it means if they did live that long for you know the bible and the pre-flood they talked about people living 900 plus years well if animals live that long too he said uh, uh note the next fact a reptile has the potential of growing throughout its entire life unlike other animals reptiles do not have a cutoff mechanism where they by they stop growing they just keep growing Okay, so he says this, he says, therefore, if reptiles today live longer like they did in the pre-flood world, they would be dinosaurs, terrible lizards, in just a few hundred years. Give them, a, you know, give this giantism that's being created, you got a lush environment, you got all the food you could ever want, and then some to eat. Okay, just, how, do you mean to tell me we've been lied to about dinosaurs too? Yeah, if you guys weren't here for the study, it's still online, you can get it downloaded for free, The Truth About Dinosaurs. We spent eight weeks exposing folks what was going on. Uh, with the dinosaur issue. But, but anyway, this is what I want to show you uh, is that back to the Nephilim issue, uh, this is why there's kind of two camps going on. Some would say, okay, the giants that we see, and we'll get into great detail in a second, the giants we see were only because of the demon angel hybrid issue that's going on. And I think that was part of it. Then another camp would sit there and say, no, 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 that's too freaky. It's just because of the pre-flood atmosphere that produced giantism and everything. 
Well, and that's true too. I'm not an either or. I think it's a both and, right? I think scripturally it's very clear and the evidence clears is that it wasn't just the angel hybrid. It was that as well. But it wasn't just that because the text really talks about that. And I think that also helps to explain the severity of the flood. Why did God wipe out the whole planet except for eight people? Well, it was getting extremely wicked. So wicked. Now you're starting to work together with demons and create weird hybrid offsprings. And again, we're going to start to get into uh, the giants now after the flood and the evidence for that. But just as a segue, Lord willing, next week, we're going to get more into the hybrid issue. And believe it or not, we're going to see man playing with fire again and starting to create human hybrids, uh, even with animals. It's pretty creepy, but it's going on. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. But anyway, so I'm not an either or. I'm a both and, and. But that's what I want to focus on. Well, wait a second. It said there in the text there, not just this Nephilim, not just giants, okay, coming from the, the different aspects of the pre-flood world and the intermingling issue going on there. But it says not just before. It said, what was the key word there? Also afterward. So that's my question. Well, wait a second. Afterward, uh, do we see any evidence that there were actually these big giants after the flood? Yeah, we see lots of evidence. And that's what I want to share with you today. And that first evidence is the evidence of mythology, right? Maybe there's a lot more truth to some of these stories that we've been told are just stories. Uh, and we've just been brainwashed into think that, okay? And, and it just so happens, just like with the flood account itself, if you guys were here for that study, you would think that if there really were giants uh, before the flood, uh, and this was the global well-known event, that somebody somewhere would be talking about these giants outside the Bible, right? Just common sense, right? Well, that's exactly what we find. In fact, back to the flood issue, people say, well, if there really was a flood, you know, it's the only place we ever hear about it is in the Bible. Excuse me? Do the research. There's about over 500 different flood legends from around the world in virtually every culture on the planet, which is what you'd expect if it was a global event that affected the whole world. Well, the same is true, not just with the accounts of talking about the flood outside the Bible. It's the same thing with giants. But of course, it's just mythology. Or is it? So let's take a look at some of that proof. Uh, first of all, the word giant uh, was coined in 1297, and it comes from the English word, which is used back then for monsters or human, uh, of a human appearance and great massive size and strength. So, of course, they're not going to use giant because that term wasn't even invented yet. Same thing with the word dinosaur. The Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. Yes, it does. Read the book of Job. But the word dinosaur was not invented until 1847 with Sir Richard Owens. The Bible had already been translated multiple years in English, different copies. So, of course, they're not going to use dinosaur because it wasn't even invented. Right? Cell phones are not real because it's not in the Bible. Well, cell phones are a recent thing. Same thing with some of this terminology. The Bible uses different terms, but dinosaurs, giants are in there. Okay, but 1297, that's what they did. And the counts of giant men are common throughout mythology and legends of various cultures. Okay, let's take a look at Greece. That's one of the most famous ones. They called them the giants of the gigantes. And they called them that because they believed they were involved in a conflict with the Olympian gods. And it was a battle that they called the gigantomachy, the struggle between the giants and the gods. Uh, they believed that these giants lost the battle and were placed beneath the earth where they continued to make mischief by causing volcanoes and earthquakes. Now, that part I don't buy into, but the other part, was there really something going on here, like the Bible said? Plutarch, and these are actual historical writings, folks. He describes how the Athenians over there uncovered the body of a giant they called Theseus, who was more of ordinary size, okay? And another writer, Pausanias, he wrote about how, the, listen, the kneecaps of another giant named Ajax, man, he could wash dishes like nobody's business. No, no, no. That's where we get that name from, Ajax, but it comes from this Grecian culture, and that his kneecaps, they said, were the size of a discus in the pentathlon, throwing that thing. That was his kneecap. 
guy was huge. Do the math, extrapolation, 14 feet tall approximately. Jewish uh, uh, historian Josephus, he was a contemporary of Jesus' first coming. Wasn't a Christian or anything, but he wrote a lot of things during that time frame, closer to the root, right? And here's what he said. He said there may be a whole lot more truth to the Greek accounts of giants, okay, than just legend. Quote, for many angels of God accompanied with women and begat sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. Big, huge, massive guys, right? And for the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the what? The Grecians call the giants. Well, interesting. He says, hey, listen, you might think it's a mythology. It's a lot more truth to it uh, than people think. William Winston, he's the translator of Josephus' writings, okay, because that was about 2,000 years ago. He said this notion that the fallen angels were, in some sense, the fathers of the old giants was the constant opinion of what? Antiquity. In other words, back in the day, everybody knew that. That was common sense. Same thing as we saw in, our, in the days of Noah's study and all the accounts of people seeing Noah's Ark over there in the mountains of Ararat. Tons and tons of reports. In fact, some of the reports back in the day, even during Josephus' time, it was basically that's what they would use to uh, defend the scripture. Oh, you doubt? Just climb up the mountain. You're going to go see the ark. That's in the writings. Everybody knew it was true. Same thing when it comes with this issue of giants. How about in Norse? Again, this is all over the world, just like the flood. They speak of jotin or giants, their word for giants. And some of them were portrayed as not only being huge, uh, but they put them in different categories, where they lived and what they did. Frost giants, uh, fire giants, mountain giants. Uh, they gave names like Loki, Mimur, Agur. They believed that their chief god was Odin. Sound familiar? This is the Thor series, Marvel movies. They're using that, giants. Uh, they believe Odin was the great-grandson of the first giant that they called Ymir. Okay, Hinduism. Again, it's all over the world, just like the flood. In Hinduism, they called giants the Diatas, and they were considered to be the children of Ditti, who fought against the gods or the divas. And because they were jealous of their diva half-brothers, they were said to be a power-seeking race. Some sort of battle was going on. Bulgaria, uh, they called them the uh, Ispolini, and they believed to inhabit the earth before modern humans and lived in mountains fed on raw meat and fought against the what? The dragons. Well, that's another myth, right? No. Remember the word dinosaur wasn't invented until 1847. Uh, they, dragons, dinosaurs were mentioned. There's some that survived after the flood. And again, if it sounds crazy to get our study, we dealt with it for 12 weeks in the days of Noah. Uh, but uh, they didn't have the word dinosaur until 1847, okay? So guess what? They called them dragons, okay? Fighting with dragons, weird beasts, dragons, and all that stuff. So again, get that study uh, as well. So they, the giants apparently fought against them as well. Uh, in Europe, Europe's got their own mythology. King Arthur, the legend goes, faced a giant, and that many of the giants were believed to have built the remains of previous civilizations. How did they move those big rocks anyway? Well, maybe they were bigger. We'll get to that in just a second. Saxo Grammaticus, for example, argues that giants had to exist because nothing else would explain the large walls, stone monuments, and statues that were in existence as this researcher shares. Watch this. In Lebanon, 44 miles from Beirut, are the imposing ruins of Baalbek. There is mention of this place in the Old Testament's Book of Kings. Baalbek in particular is a very good example. That has the trilophon. Those are the largest stones in the world ever used for construction. They're so large we don't even know their actual weight. Uh, those stones were somehow quarried, moved five miles, lifted 25, 30 feet in the air, and placed together so closely that you can't fit a razor blade or a piece of paper in between them. We have no idea how they did it. We don't have a crane in the world that can lift weights anywhere near what those things are. 
no one knows for sure. But according to Arab tradition, the earliest temples were built here after the Great Flood by a tribe of giants for the biblical king Nimrod. Yeah, but that's probably just a made-up mythology story. And Yeah, how did you move that? Somebody my size, it ain't happening. Right? How did you move that? We'll get to that uh, in later detail. Uh, in fact, giants were common folklore in the Wales, Scotland, Ireland, up there in the UK. Uh, and they, they believe that that's, the giants actually used to fight against each other, at least their stories go. And they fought against each other, throwing rocks at each other. Okay? It's actually how my parents met. No, I'm not kidding. My, my mom used to live across the street. Okay? And uh, my mom's sister, my aunt, uh, my dad didn't get along with her. And so they get in fights all the time. So my dad actually picked her up one, one time at my future aunt and uh, threw a rock all the way across the street, beamed her in the head, knocked her out. Yeah. And so my mom comes out, I guess the story goes, in her hot short shorts. And that was my first time my dad saw her and really got married. Here I am. Okay. <laughs> and it was a dry year when they plucked me. That's my excuse. Uh, but anyway, so the giants apparently back in the day, I spill everything today apparently, uh, giants back in the day, they threw uh, stones at each other. Now listen to this, this is kind of interesting, uh, and they say this was to explain why you see all these different great stones appearing all over the landscape. You ever travel around and say, how did that rock get there? What's that doing there? Right? How did this stone hinge get there? How did they move that? Interesting when you start putting all that together. Uh, many today's uh, so-called, so-called fairy tales, like Jack the Giant Killer, they've formed our perception of giants. We just think, oh, it's made up, it's mythology, a bunch of you know, violent, uh, goofy, dumb monsters. Uh, but the legends, even back in the fairy tales, said they used to eat humans. Okay? Now, especially kids. Okay? Bite-sized snacks, apparently. And, but listen, this is what's interesting. Here in the United States, Native American culture, pay attention. Uh, they record how there were giants throughout different parts of North America, and that's starting to come out now. Okay? Uh, in fact, according to the Paiute Indians, a race of red-haired giants that they called the Saitika were cannibals and once lived between the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountains, and their mummified remains have allegedly been discovered in a cave near Lovelock, Nevada. How many guys want to take a church bus road trip six hours north and go check it out? Wouldn't that be cool? Not too far from us, folks. Actually, that would be kind of a cool story. Would Tom, you want to drive the bus? No pressure. We'll talk about that later. But, uh, but anyway, I don't know about you guys, but you put this together with the biblical account, the evidence of mythology about giants, even though it sounds weird, it starts to stack up. Okay? And this is exactly what you would expect if, in fact, there were really giants, not only before but also after the flood. You would expect somebody else would be talking about it outside the Bible. Well, guess what? Just like the flood accounts, we've got about 500 different accounts throughout the cultures around the world. So it is, not just with the flood, but also what Genesis mentions, and that's the issue of giants, okay? The second evidence is the evidence of Scripture, okay? And hopefully this is the question you are asking, and that's something like this. Well, okay, Pastor Bill, that's kind of cool, kind of a different sermon today. Uh, so the cultures around the planet, they talk about giants before the flood, and, and uh, just like the flood itself, I get that that's interesting, but how do we know that their accounts are accurate like the scripture? I mean, can we trust those accounts completely? I mean, I mean shouldn't we trust and stick only to the word of God, which is our sole source of authority? Absolutely. I'm hoping you're asking that question. Okay. That's our foundation. You cannot veer off of that. The sole source of authority for truth is the Bible. And uh, so let's go back to the Bible. Is that the only place in the Bible that mentions Nephilim or giants in Genesis 6? Just one one passage? Mm -mm. You do the research and there's giants all over the Bible. Okay. And not just before, but just like Genesis said, after the flood as well. 
Okay. Now, we already know about the biblical account of Goliath. That's an easy one, so I'm not going to belabor that. I want to get some of the other ones that we, for some reason, I think just skip over. And uh, we don't uh, take serious. I don't know why. Okay. Uh, but the first passage we're going to take a look at, showing us that there were giants in the Bible, mentioned in the Bible, after the flood, okay, is Deuteronomy chapter 3. Now, this is the account of a guy named Og of Bashan. How many guys are going to name your next kid that? Og. That sounds like something you pull your back. Oh, but anyway, but to Agabashan, let's watch this passage. This is cool. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. We took all that. Now, they're bragging, right? In, in a good sense. It's like this is a day of victory, right? You know, when something really goes good, you have a big breakthrough, some victory. Man, the Israelites were always recording it. Man, we took this town down. We did this. What? Well, when you understand what's going on here, you can see why. You better make sure this one gets recorded. This was a big day, pun intended. All right. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Selika and Edre and the town of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaites. We're going to see in a second. That's the genealogy of the giants after the flood. Listen to this. His bed was made of iron and was more than what? 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. It's still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. I love that little passage there because it's like, well, hello, if you doubt, just go check it out. It's still there, you know, at least of the people of that time, okay? Uh, but here we see a, a, a guy mentioned in the scripture after the flood, and how many guys would say that a 13-foot-long bed, six feet wide, made of, not wood, specifically called out, of iron is kind of for a big guy? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty easy, and uh, definitely, again, not my side of the family. But if you do the math there, because there's some debate, you know, they measured in cubits back in those days, right? And there, but there was different cubits. If you use the Egyptian cubit, okay, uh, as the measuring stick, then uh, this guy was not only a giant on a giant bed, this Og of Bashan. Wait till you see how big his appetite was. You would not want him over for Thanksgiving. But let's take a look at that. The Egyptian royal cubit was, was 20.63 inches. And with that in mind, we can now put it into our own calculations which would make his feet 15, his bed 15 feet 6 inches, and it's width 6 feet 10 inches. So, and of course it was made of iron. It's not just some guy with a big ego, but because it was made of iron, it means that he was very heavy. And so he's probably a little bit shorter. He's probably about 15 feet uh, tall. And when we begin to look at that, here's modern man, and there's Goliath, and we have the Irish giant of 12 feet, and then King Og, who's 15 feet, putting them next to each other, you can see how you'd be somewhat intimidated next to this guy. And according to God, the Amorites were even taller. So, remember, King Og is just of the remnant of the Rephaim. He's not even the big guy. So, watch out. And how heavy was he? Well, thanks to Galileo and his equation he came up with, we can calculate his weight. So he was about 3,125 pounds, and uh, he you know, probably could lift his own body weight, I'm sure, maybe double that. So he could probably lift uh, at least two horses at the same time with a rider and throw them, uh, probably a mid-sized car of today. You'd want to watch out if this guy's in your path. And uh, he said it was a land that devours its inhabitants because everybody was of great stature. Well, we can also calculate his basal metabolic rate. That means just the amount of calories needed to keep his heart beating, to stay alive, just the basics. He needed at least 22,657 calories every day just to stay alive. That's not even talking about normal activity. You can only guess what he would have needed for normal activity. 
That's uh, just as very basic as equal to nine normal sized persons. We convert that into pizzas, you've got 12 12 inch pizzas, or 63 cheeseburgers, and, uh, and probably a lamb every two days. So, uh, you know, if he, was, if he was really working out and stuff and going to war, he may have needed, you know, uh, a lamb every day, or maybe two lambs a day. It was a land that devoured its inhabitants. Yeah, it'd make me cry too if he came over for supper. <laughs> Can you imagine that guy showing up? <laughs> right? And no, forget locking the door, he's just going to smash right through it. Okay, uh, but man, that, that's a formidable opponent, okay? And now you can begin to understand when you saw the size comparison there, right? You, when the Israelites won, right? And, and they, they whipped these guys, this town, and Og of Bashan, the whole area, these giants. No wonder they wrote it down. Yeah, we took these guys down. Og of Bashan, what? You, everybody knows Og of Bashan. We took them down. Woo! Right? Brings more credence as to why these events are specifically called out in the scripture. Well, that's what was going on here. These guys took down the Anakites, the uh, Emites, the Amorites, the Rephites, and you do the genealogy study when you trace the trail. All those that are mentioned, I just mentioned, are from the genealogy of the giants. Okay, so that's why they're mentioned. Now, the second passage the Bible mentions about giants uh, is in the classic passage, Numbers 13. And this is the 12 spies account, right? Uh, Unfortunately, 10 of the 12 came back with what? A negative report. Right, Caleb and Joshua, the only two who are faithful. But this kind of lends a little bit of credence. Now, I'm not condoning their behavior, but why were these guys so freaked out? Right? God said, I'll give you the land. Why would you come back with such a negative attitude? Well, let's take a look at that passage there. Numbers 13, 26 through 33. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Remember the grapes were so big they had to have to use a pole in between them? Huge, massive fruit. Right? And they gave this account uh, to Moses. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Right? God's right. You know, here's the fruit. Look at the size of these grapes, right? But the people who live there, they said, are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Uh-oh, the giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the, the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. We're talking about the giant folks here. Then Caleb basically silenced the people and Moses and basically said, would you hush your mouth? This is only one of the two that were faithful to God. He says, listen, we should go up and take possession of the land. I don't care how big these people are. We should go up and take the land, for we can certainly do it. God's got our back, right? Well, but the men who've gone up with them say, oh, no, no, no. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours all those living in. All the people we saw are of what? Great size and specifically brings back the Hebrew word. We saw the what there? The Nephilim, the giants, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like what? Grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Okay? Now, when you start to understand this giant issue, it kind of brings that passage to life, doesn't it? Okay? And that's what we have going on here. The 12 spies, they came back from spying the land. God had given it to them. All they had to go in was go in and take it. God's got their back. But what did they say? Yeah, hey, God, you're right. You're good. You promised. Exactly. You're a promise keeper. You gave us this land. It's flowing with milk and honey. The fruit is huge. It's massive. Everything's incredible. But what happened? They started freaking out, at least 10 out of 12. And they saw these giants. The Nephilim were there. And so what they say? Man, we are the size of grasshoppers compared to these guys. Okay? So again, let's take a look at the size comparison. And let's see maybe a little bit. Again, not condoning their behavior. 
Okay, but why were these guys so freaked out? Well, let's take a look at that again. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come of the Nephilim. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. It's pretty easy to see why they would have viewed themselves that way. I mean, think about it. That big guy there would have looked at the six-footer, ah, little grasshopper, I squash you like a bug. You know? And the other guy like, man, I feel like a grasshopper compared to that guy. Right? Uh, well, when you look through Scripture, you find that sometimes it, it seems that the, the, the writers just insert something that doesn't appear to have anything really to do with anything. I mean, it's interesting, whatever, but so what? Like the grapes. When you're reading in Numbers 13, remember the story about the grapes? Man, it took two guys to carry a cluster of grapes on a pole. So what? I mean, it's, it's just they got big grapes there. Wow. Well, as I'm studying the giants and looking at all this stuff and thinking about height and all this, uh, my wife had actually brought me a bowl of grapes, and I actually had a full cluster of grapes in the bowl. So I'm, I'm already studying all this. I look at this cluster of grapes. I grab it. I walk into the bathroom, and I hold it up to, the, to my head just to get a scale. I wanted to see. I wanted to get a scale. I'm like, why? You know, this is cool. Why would you put it in here? You know, big deal. So I held up a cluster of grapes to my head just to get a scale to how big how big does a cluster of grapes look to a person's head? And then I began to think, how big would this cluster of grapes have to get before I couldn't carry it anymore by myself? You know, I'm fairly strong. I'm 170 pounds. I'm thinking, okay. I started to scale up a giant with a cluster of grapes just to see how big it would have to get before I would need help. Well, I kept doing it, and uh, I found that it'd have to be over a 30-footer before the cluster of grapes would be scaled such that it would be so big that I would need to ask my buddy for help carrying the thing. So I found that the cluster of grapes actually helps you understand the scale of the giants, interestingly enough. Wow! And I found this quote from an individual by the name of Michael Alouf, page 41 of his book, History of Baalbek. He says, after the flood, when Nimrod reigned over Lebanon, he sent giants to rebuild the fortress of Baalbek which was so named in honor of Baal, the god of the Moabites, and worshipers of the sun. See that stone right there? That thing is huge. Uh, you can see the size comparison with the guy that's standing there. That's roughly a six-foot-tall man standing on the end of that stone right there. Now, uh, modern historians and archaeologists will look at that and scratch their head and go, oh, uh, we don't have any clue. How in the world did somebody quarry that rock? How did they carve that rock? How did they move that rock? Nobody can understand that when you're trying to look at it with that frame of mind. Six-foot-tall guy. Looking at our resources today, we couldn't move something that big. But if we let the scriptures speak for us, I believe this solves the problem. <laughs> and there's what you got. You imagine two guys like Arnold, strong as the oaks, right? Now, that's pretty easy to see how that rock was moved. <laughs> hey, Arnold, stop flexing. Get over here and give me a hand. <laughs> stop showing off for the camera. I need some help here. That totally explains the megalithic structures all around the world. Let the scripture speak for itself. It tells you there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that. That being before the flood, yes, and also after the flood as well. Interesting. Now, are you guys starting to catch on why I wear such baggy clothes on purpose? Yeah, whatever, let's move on. Uh, but anyway, but how, how many guys would say the guy's that tall? Okay, now I'll explain some of the monolithic structures and how they because we don't even our modern day equipment we can't move that kind of stuff but if people were bigger hey leave the scripture alone let god speak he doesn't lie everything starts falling into place okay but guys that size no wonder they said we're like grasshopper how many guys every time 
when you go outside and you're in a field or whatever and you see a grasshopper, you, oh, oh. I'm risking asking that question because I know some of you are freaked out by grasshoppers, but most people, right? Say, it's a grasshopper, whatever, <laughs> right? Or use it for fishing bait. That's what we did back in Kansas. Always catch catfish with those babies. But, uh, uh, but you're not scared. And that's why he's saying, listen, we're like just fishing bait, man. <laughs> we're like grasshoppers. These guys are going to come along, <laughs> squishes like a bug. No wonder they freaked out. Now, not condoning it because God did rebuke them. And that leads us to the third passage, and that's in Amos chapter 2. And God rebukes them for their lack of trust in him to take care of the giants. And listen to what God says. He calls it out. He didn't say you were lying about giants. He said, oh, no, it's real. Your problem is you didn't trust me. Okay, uh, Amos chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, God speaking says this, I destroyed the Amorite, the giants, okay, the lineage before them, though he was what? This is God speaking. Tall as what? What's a cedar? That's a tree. He's tall as a tree, tall as the cedars, and as strong as the oaks. How many guys have run your car into an oak tree before? Yeah, and that tree just gets right out of the way. No, he don't go nowhere. Okay, <laughs> strong as the oak, tall as the tree, whoa. And God says, I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. I brought you up, Israelites, out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the desert to give you the land of the Amorites, the giants. Okay? And so if you notice here, God is not rebuking the Israelites because they were lying about the giants. You guys are stretching the truth. No, they weren't lying about the giants. There really were giants in the land. They really did look like literal fishing bait grasshoppers compared to these guys. The problem was their lack of trust in God to listen, take care of the giants. He took care of them for 40 years. You think he's going to leave you hanging high and dry here? This is it. This is the payoff. I led you to this place. Lush, the grapes are so huge. I want to give it to you. I love you. But thanks to Hollywood, I want to kind of get a little visual. Again, not condoning what their behavior was because it was wrong, their unbelief. Trust God. Trust God no matter how big it seems. But thanks to Hollywood, I think I, we can kind of envision how the, the ten spies were envisioning the battle with the giants in the promised land was going to go. Watch this. Giant! Monks haven't rung that bell in. You know, I don't think I've ever heard them ring it. Run! Jack. Jack! What's he yelling? Giant!
have any weaknesses? close in prayer <laughs> whoa wow kind of opens things up in the scripture doesn't it how many guys say the guys the size of trees throwing burning trees at you would kind of freak you out all right and again you know you kind of begin to understand a little bit more okay and i'm not condoning uh uh their their fear okay that was wrong and and this is the good news for you and i they weren't being rebuked because they were stretching the truth about giants they're being rebuked for the last of God to take care of the giants. God admitted in this passage, Amos 2, they are as tall as the cedars. They're as strong as an oak tree. They're like the size of a tree, as strong as a tree. Okay, but I destroyed the Amorites. I destroyed the giants. I took care of you guys for 40 years and all your other problems every single time. Why didn't you trust me? And I, I love this passage because, you know, we never do this, do we? We, we never think that our problems are too giant for God. This one's beyond his control. It's, he, he can't fix this one. Ooh! And spread a negative report in our own mind and our fellow brothers and sisters as if God is inept. Folks, be encouraged today. This is the lesson that the Israelites should have learned. You don't have to miss out on the promised land. Trust God. Our God is a giant killer. No problem is too big for him. Amen? The third uh, evidence we're going to see about giants, not just before, but after the flood, is the evidence of history. And you might be thinking, well, wait a second. Okay, Pastor Billy, so this mythology talks about giants. Uh, the Genesis accounts uh, talks about giants. And uh, the rest of the Bible even talks about giants, not just before, but after the flood. But you would think, man, with all these stories and accounts and legends of giants and all these different places that somebody's somehow uh, recording all these accounts in recent history, there should be some evidence, right? Well, folks, we find tons of evidence. I don't have time to get into all. We'd be here all day. Okay, but let me tell you some. This is in written historical accounts of giant people after uh, the flood. Let's take a look at some of that. The body of Orestes, this guy, according to the Greeks, was 11 and a half feet long. Uh, Pliny describes another guy uh, between 9 and 10 feet uh, tall. Okay, and adds that the remains of a couple other folks found in uh, uh, Augustus Caesar in the gardens there, which were supposed to be guardians of that place, 10 feet, 3 inches each. How many of you guys would like to have them on your basketball team? Drop the ball in every time. Just throw it to Herman. Okay, uh, Joseph tells Eliezer, the Jew among them, uh, king of Persia, Rome there, the guy was 11 feet high, the account goes. Emperor Maximilian, you ever heard of him? reason why he was such a... Famous guy with the Romans, because he was eight and a half to nine feet high. Listen to this. He used his wife's bracelet for a finger ring. He ate 40 pounds of flesh a day and drank six gallons of wine. Okay, no wonder they wanted him as the ruler. Uh, he was accredited as being a great runner, and his earlier days is said to have conquered single-handedly eight soldiers. Big, massive guy in history. Saxo, Grammarian, the guy we saw earlier, mentions a giant 13 and a half feet high. Another guy, uh, Roland, nephew of Charlemagne, uh, said to have been nearly 11 feet high. Uh, a giant supposedly living uh, under the rule of uh, King Eugene II of Scotland was 11 and a half feet high. Uh, this guy's of Charles IV, the physician said, he's, listen, he saw a youth nine feet high, a youth 
nine feet high, and a man and woman almost 10 feet high. Kaiser mentions this guy in the 1550s of a person nearly 12 feet high. Uh, 1553, the Tower of London was supposedly guarded by three people who were supposed to be related to Henry VIII, Og, Gog, and Magog were their names, each of them about eight feet high. No wonder you want them to guard your palace. Okay, uh, Chronicles of Holland, 1557, a giant named Nicholas was so large that men could stand under his arms and his shoe held three ordinary feet, uh, was mentioned there. In Switzerland, a girl at five years old, her body was as large as a full-grown woman at the age of five, weighed more uh, when, uh, a year old as much as a bushel of wheat. How many ladies would like to give birth to that baby? Might be one and done. Uh, with that one. Uh, also mentions a man nine feet high and his hand was one and a half feet long. The hand, one and a half feet long. 1712 in Holland, this fisherman got eight feet uh, high, weighed 500 pounds. 1752, uh, Lancashire, uh, they called him the child of hell, joking. Uh, nine feet tall, uh, three, nine feet three inches. Uh, this guy's uh, in uh, Irish there, nine feet high and uh, his shoe was 17 inches long and uh, uh, another guy there with his uh, eight and four feet tall at his death. So he shrunk a little bit there. And you'll register this guy here. He uh, was a giant, uh, died of dropsy of the chest. He was 29 years old. At 29, he was eight feet, seven inches high. Uh, in St. Petersburg, 1828 feet, eight inches was another uh, giant guy mentioned. Uh, 1832, measurement eight and a half feet tall by Dr. Adam Clark. 1837 in Parma, a guy was mentioned eight feet, 10 inches tall, 401 pounds. Uh, this guy speaks of the giants in Chile, nine feet tall. And get this, even Buffalo Bill here in the United States encounters giants and mentions them in his diary. But I'm sure that would just make believe. Well, listen to what he said. This is really, really interesting. Now, if you study ancient legends, you'll discover the ancient, most earliest culture, Sumer, has these legends, Assyria, Egypt, Incas, Mayan, Gilgamesh and Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, of course. Most of us are familiar with the Greek versions of this mythology. India, Bolivia, South Sea, even the American Indians. I came across a fascinating reference in a book that was considered at the time very reliable, the autobiography of William Cody, commonly known as Buffalo Bill. And if you look at Buffalo Bill's autobiography, Colonel William F. Cody, in 1920, there's a paragraph. I put part of it in here. He says, while we were in the Sand Hills scouting the Neobarra country, the Pawnee Indians brought into camp some very large bones, one of which the surgeon of the expedition pronounced to be the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were those of a race of people who long ago had lived in that country. They said these people were three times the size of a man of the present day, and they were so swift and strong that they could run by the side of a buffalo and taking the animal in one arm could tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. The bone was too big. They didn't have wagons, so they didn't keep it. So he recorded it in his journal. So I don't know what to make of that, but I think it's interesting. You'll discover, if you study Indian lore, that the Indians were terrified of the six-fingered people. That's why when they met a stranger, they held up the hand to prove they only had five fingers. This how business is Hollywood, but the, the idea of greeting a stranger with your hand so you could count fingers. You'll find that recorded in the pictographs in, uh, pictographs in uh, uh, Chaca, New Mexico, among other places. Well, that's interesting. I need to be able to finish the rest of my sermon in peace, so I need your cooperation. Please turn to the person next to you and do this. How are you doing today? I think we're good. Let's continue on. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely 
Wild, okay? Now, what's wild is you think, well, that's just kind of, you know, six fingers, whatever. Folks, how many times have we read this passage and skipped right over it, dealing with giants? Maybe Buffalo Bill had it right the whole time. This is wild. This is here in uh, First Chronicles 20, 4 through 8. In the course of time, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. Again, you're in giant country. Uh, at that time, Sibachai, the Hushethite, killed Sippai, one of the defendants, descendants of the Rephaites, and the Philistines were subjugated. And again, they're recording their battle. We beat them. We whooped them. Right? Another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jer, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. Goliath was a giant, uh, and who had a spear uh, with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Still another battle took place at Gath. There was a huge man with what? Six fingers on each hand. Oh, and six toes on each foot. I guess you should do that too. Hi. 24 in all, right there in the Bible. Isn't that wild? He also was a descendant of Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These were the descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. No wonder David grew in such popularity so fast, way above King Saul, even though he was way younger, hardly inexperienced. Why? Because David just didn't win battles. He won battles against giants. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Very interesting. The fourth one we're going to deal with is what I simply call, as we close, the evidence of conspiracy. This is all over the scripture, folks, and that's the logical con- conclusion to me. You know, you look at all this information that we're acquiring, archaeological, scientific, biblical information and stuff, and you say, well, wait a second, Pastor Billy, with all this talk of giants being mentioned in mythology and the Bible and throughout history, and people have the remains and stuff, you think that somebody somewhere in some academia or the news or school system or somebody like the government, somebody would be talking about this. This is fascinating stuff. I mean, I mean this stuff backs up the veracity of the, the biblical account, it proves the authority of the Bible. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Folks, there's a conspiracy going on, and I'm not just saying it. Even the people in their own camp are saying there's a conspiracy going on. They're not dumb. Our skeptical evolutionary mindset society knows that if this information came out about giants before and after the flood, uh, they're going to have to rewrite their evolutionary history. In fact, not even that. They're going to have to admit that they are following a lie. And at the same time, they're going to say, well, apparently the Bible's true. You might want to listen to that book. Can't have that. So according to their own words, this is their own camp, okay? There's a book out there called Forbidden Archaeology. And these guys, as far as I know, they are not even Christians. Listen to what they said in their own camp, what they're doing with the information they come across. Quote, they're covering up as much as they're digging up. And they've been doing it for 150 years. One guy coined it. It's called Smithsonian Gate. Listen to what he said. He said, in the archives of the Smithsonian Institution, open only to government officials, Lie bones of many thousands of corpses dug up, described, and stored without study for more than 150 years. Scores, if not hundreds, of these skeletons are considered giants, and yet they lie there deteriorating, not finding the slightest interest in anthropologies, wanting no part in rocking the neatly defined prehistory evolutionary model. The researchers ignore them now, and there is no sign it will ever change. Here is undeniable evidence that a race of giants had a prominent presence, and if Americas were ever allowed into the nation's attic, the Smithsonian, as it's been called, what skeletons might they find? Interesting. And I remember going through that and coming across that article for the first time. That was their term, not mine, Smithsonian Gate. And I'm going, you know what? That smells exactly like that final scene in Indiana Jones. Remember the first one with the Ark of the Covenant there? And they finally made it through and got, you know, got it back from the Nazis and all that stuff. And then, oh, their faces melted off. That's what you get. But anyway, whatever. And uh, so they take the ark as the movie goes. They bring it back to the United States. And they're going, aha, so now we finally get to see it. No, no, no. Remember that final scene? He brings the ark back, 
And here's what happened to it. Watch this. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. frustrating that was okay she took it away then all of a sudden the second thought goes to your brain whoa 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 wait a second that's a big warehouse with a whole bunch of boxes in there and of course that's how you talk when you think about that second point <laughs> what else you hiding from us remember that folks based on the evidence that's not a hollywood movie that's modern day reality we're being lied to by the evolutionary committee they are covering up as much as they're digging up, and they've been doing it for the last 150 years because you cannot have people, certainly in the last days, believing in this book. Every bit of it, not just God created it in the beginning is true. He's going to put an end to it in the ending. Jesus came the first time. This book, the Bible says, he's coming again a second time, and you better get ready. And so if a Christian, hey, man, what's Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. All this is coming out, folks, and I don't think the timing is by chance. I think we're getting close. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you need to get saved. Why do you think God's got you here? I don't know about you guys, and I'm not saying this, don't misunderstand me to boast or anything, but I don't think that many of these kind of sermons are preached across America. <laughs> so, so take advantage of the opportunity. God is going to great lengths to try to get your attention as a non-Christian, because he's coming back. And if you're not saved, you're going into the seven-year tribulation, the worst time in the history of mankind. And even then, somehow, if you could somehow be the ultimate survivor, you're still going to go straight to hell. But God loves you. His word tells you he loves you. And I really believe that that's you here today. What God is doing in love, he's trying to get you to realize you've been lied to. And the world has you thinking backwards. And it's time with this evidence to see you need to reverse your thinking and start thinking correctly before it's too late. We'll close in prayer after this. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am in the need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking.
I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame, but with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. How many of you guys remember that day when you reversed your thinking? Amen. I used to be one of the biggest scoffers on the planet. God had mercy on me. I was being lied to, but I didn't realize it. But once you come to that moment and realize this whole world is leading you in the wrong path, that's how evil it is. Away from Jesus, the only way out of this mess. Flip the switch, reverse your thinking, it all makes sense. And it's not something you keep here. You have to receive it in your heart. It's not just knowing that Jesus is real and that he died on the cross. You need to acknowledge you're not worthy of heaven. And it's only his sacrifice on the cross. Taking our punishment in our place is the only way to get there. Reverse your thinking before it's too late. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? 
Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just 5 out of 10 of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven. In that state, you're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. But you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and 
Uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.